From the Raptors, the NCAA, and around the NBA, Toronto basketball fans, this is your home court with Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, and Josh Lewinberg on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. Welcome inside the TSN 1050 Raptors headquarters. We got a lineup change today. Megan McPeak, Dwayne Watson, joining us. Gareth Wheeler in the chair as Josh Lewenberg is at a prior commitment. So we got to, you know, we're bringing the guy in off the bench. We, we, added added, we some, got our uh, sixth man. We added some size yeah. <laughs> to the starting three here. It's, a, better, it's a veteran savvy. Not necessarily quality. It's the size. So. We have a really great show for everyone this afternoon. Joining us at 1.30, John Carlos will join us to talk Boston Raptors. We'll get an update, hopefully, on Kyrie after getting knocked out uh, in the face by one of his teammates last night. He's, as of right, I believe last night they kind of mentioned he was going to maybe go into the concussion protocol. Don't know if he is officially yet, so we'll hear an update from John, hopefully. And at 1.45, Doug Smith, the Toronto Star, he'll talk to us everything Raptors. And at 2.15, we'll go around the NBA with NBA analyst from Fox Sports, Chris Broussard. So, gentlemen, interesting, interesting week this week. Tough one against the Wizards, a tough one also against the Bulls, which shouldn't have been tough, and yeah. an interesting one, but fun one against the Pelicans. Interesting a little bit theme. of both. That's the theme. <laughs> I have a question. I mean, you mentioned the Wizards game, which interesting in a bad way, based on the fact that John Wall was with the team, and yes. they took that loss. And of course, the Bulls game, which were up 20 plus, and then <laughs> managed to make it interesting. And of course, the Pelicans game, they won 122-118, which we had here on TSN 1050. And um, I talked about that was a fun game to watch. I mean, yeah. defense was not the order of the day. It was not. Not but, at all. Um, it was definitely exciting to watch and, and fun to see. And obviously, the two bigs in Davis and Cousins and how the Raptors did a good job of, of you know keeping them somewhat in check. Drew Holiday was the other story there, too, though. Yeah, and... and- I don't know about you guys, like, we'll, we'll jump into the plus minuses of the week and you look at those games, but, like, for me, a huge minus is the fact you let a guy like Drew Holiday put on what, like, if he does that every game, he's an MVP candidate. You know, And he put on an MVP candidate type of game against the Raptors, and it shouldn't happen, in my opinion. Well, it's funny, because we talked about it in the pregame show, but my key matchup was Kyle Lowry and Drew Holiday, and both guards kind of had to bounce back. I mean, Drew Holiday is a former NBA All-Star, so he's not necessarily a top liver. He hasn't, he's had a, right. not had a great season, but um, that's the thing. I think there was almost so much focus and attention on the bigs that they let Drew Holiday go, because a lot of his stuff was in the paint in yeah. the restricted area, too. Yeah, which says a lot about the perimeter defense. Right, and... I think that the conversation will continue to be about the Raptors' defensive play, but how much of that is based upon the tempo they're playing at? Like, yeah, they, they didn't do a good job on Drew Holiday, but at the same time, a lot of these points are given up is because they're going to attack the other way. Right. So I, I don't know if I want to chalk it all down or up to poor defensive play, right. I think this is what you get if they're going to play this way. Right. Which is kind of also what we see. I'm not comparing them. Like, let's put that out there. We kind of see this some nights from the Golden State Warriors because they play it at such a high level and a fast level. Sometimes the defense falls off a bit. Again, no comparison. But before before we even get into anything, shout out to Gareth. You had some really awesome news this week. And yeah. I wanna, you, let, let's share yes. well, Let's share it with everybody. You are officially you got to you got to ring the bell. I did. I you Princess got to Margaret. ring the bell. Yeah. So I don't know how many people know my story, but um, over the last twelve years, I've been battling malignant melanoma, 
And I've had my ups, I've had my downs, and over the last nine, ten months, I've been undergoing a new form of therapy, uh, an immunotherapy, and it's worked. And um, I'm coming off the treatment, and I, I, I don't know if you can ever say that you're cancer-free, right. quote unquote, right. but I'm at a point right now where there's they they cannot detect any active disease in my body and there's good reason to believe that this will continue going forward as well so uh, honestly like i'm drained i don't have a voice cuz i yeah. i've been talking so much uh, over the last couple of days uh and um it's been emotional for me and my family but it looks like i've kind of turned a corner now and i can kind of start looking towards my future instead of worrying and be of yeah. concern um each and every day so it's been an absolute wild ride i'm sure i'm not done there's going to be some time uh for adjustment but th- yeah the good news thanks for bringing that up megan like it's just been um an incredible turn of events and i have so many people to thank and not enough time but uh I'm confident in what I've done and where I'm going now, and uh, that's the most important thing. So thank you so There's, much. That's yeah. my plus of the week. Yeah, that's my plus of the week. <laughs> Straight up. <out. laughs> <laughs> we got a better one. I don't think and I did nothing that. on the court. So <laughs> yes, uh, no, th- it's um, and I give a massive plus out to everyone at the station, all of our colleagues, and Megan, Dwayne. We've been together through all of this, and. Nothing has come easy, and everyone's been so supportive. Uh, and um, uh, I can't thank you guys enough. And it's, it's it's always awkward when you're in a position like me because you you put on that your game face, right? right? You get down to business, and uh, oftentimes people don't know what to say to you right. as well when you're going through that scenario. But you know when you just know yeah. that people have your back and people are concerned about you and what you're going through. Like, I knew that all along. So this disease, and anyone out there listening right now, when you go through this, you know that you don't go through this by yourself. There's, like, your network, your your family, your friends. And um, I didn't just do this for myself. I've done this for, like, everyone else. So, yeah, it's just, it's it's a, a, there's a real sense of community to this. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, needless to say, I'm thrilled. Uh, we'll enjoy. Be. You worked hard. I'll, I'll give myself a plus for the week. Well. <laughs> <laughs> that worked. And shout out to everyone at Princess Margaret Hospital. Yes. Shout out to them for bringing wheels back to us in, right on. in, in 100% health. And I mean, there's that there's nothing you can really say outside of like, that's amazing. Like, yeah. it's, it's yeah. awesome. And I know... Like, Jeff sent out an email, our, our boss here at, at the station, and I decided instead of responding to email, why not just all good? Why not just talk about it right here? Because we've got the platform. Um, so it, it's great that you know we'll have the voice back for next Tuesday with with all the kids. Yes, and, yes, uh, yes. But yeah, it's it's great news, and there's no real easy segue to go back into basketball. But I wanted to take that moment, and obviously, you know, plus of the week off the court is Gareth being uh, being good and and help back to health. And I'm glad that there was a treatment out there that has kicked cancers. You know what? Um, so yeah, what else? When you look at the Raptors this week. Let's go into the minuses because, I mean, we talked about the defense. The three-point shooting has not been what they had hoped, but they've got C.J. Miles back, and it's obviously going to take a game or two for him to get his his footing back under him and get the shots off the way he was. But I think also, too, now defenses are seeing the offensive system that Coach Casey has and how they're trying to get Miles open, and they're figuring out how to defend him as well. I think uh, touching on my minus and touching on C.J. Miles a bit, I think my minus is a kind of, 
12-man rotation. And I think mm-hmm. that's part of the problem in terms of CJ being able to get in there because there's not enough minutes for, for him to catch a rhythm. And as a shooter, I mean, like, you know, you still need to kind of, if you're not shooting well in the beginning, you need to kind of shoot your way out of that. Mm-hmm. And is there an opportunity for him, a guy like him to get rhythm? Is there an opportunity for guys like Pearl to know where they fit in or Pascal Siakam in that rhythm? And I think it's worked in a game like the Pelicans where you want to throw different looks at those bigs or whatnot. But I think that there's too many guys getting minutes right now. And how do you kind of solidify where you fit in? And the last game specifically, the starters had a good game. The bench, not so much. I mean, they did okay, but also because they were all playing. So mine is a 12-man rotation. I think they need to tighten that up. So, so Dwayne, how do you clean that up? I think you have to pick who, like, two guys are not going to be getting minutes. I mean, you can't play. We, we've seen it. I mean, it's, well, it's working, but I think it's too hard for so many young guys to get those minutes. And now we see, like, last game where OG was playing right. down the stretch. And, I mean, he's part of that rotation, I feel, without question. I know you're a fan, too. But I think you got to kind of say, hey, player X, player Y, you know, when someone's down, you're up. Does it does it go with? Could you maybe look at it in a matchup comparison too, depending on who they're playing sure. that week, and yeah. maybe decide who, absolutely what those two guys aren't going to be playing and but, but I, throw them in if they need to. I don't to. know about you guys, but like I feel like Coach Casey and the coaching staff are like playing Mister Nice Guy right now what because you, yeah. because it's hard to take out anyone because they're all playing well, right? And the bench has been the overriding feel good story when it comes to this team. So it's hard to take something Is it away. Though? I mean, I, 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 I that, that that's I what you, I'm though. trying to that, reconcile. Here. Yeah, because that's a logical answer. But it's funny because we've seen like where Coach Casey would play, like James Johnson would not play for months, and right. then someone's out, and they'd bring him in, and then he'd play great, and then that person would come back, and James Johnson would be on the rotation. So in the past, they haven't had a problem being like. But but that guy. was James Johnson, okay? okay? A guy, a little bit well, of a divisive guy, wasn't everyone's cup of tea. Like, you can say what he did was, on the court. Who's now the cup of tea that we that <laughs> they wanted to be. But I mean, a, a change of scenery might have worked, so who knows what but I mean, yeah. like He's got a bunch of young players who are working hard and playing well. And that's going to be a difficult decision where to... But I feel you're you're right, and I mean that might be the logic. But I feel as a young, it's easier with young players than and not to go back to James Johnson, but it's like this guy's kind of proved what he can do, and right. now he's doing in Miami what everyone thought he can do. He wasn't doing it all consistently in Toronto, but they're young players. Their time is going to come. I think they recognize that, so that's just part of the process. Or, or is it maybe that the guys, or one or two or three of them on this Raptors team right now, haven't separated themselves from the bunch? Well, we- I think that's also that also plays a part because when you look at like. Fred and DeLon, I, I'll use them as an example. One night, DeLon has a great game, and then Fred has a great game. And it, they're going back and forth on off and on each night that it makes it tough to decide who's going to be that first guard, point guard off the bench to give Lowry a blow. And it when when you've got two guys that go back and forth and battle every night, it makes it difficult. Well, well we thought that, we universally thought, I would fairly say, and Coach Casey even said Jakob Pertl was the guy. The young big coming off the bench, the first big coming off, and that was the situation. Now that's not the case anymore. And now you got a guy like Jakob feeling a little weird. I'm using quotes because that's a word he used about where he fits in rotation. So I think that's a concern in terms of like, it's not like I think Pascal's played well, but Pascal was behind Jakob. Now it's even. We will continue this conversation. We can we can continue this conversation every single week. Head over to at TSN1050 on the Twitterverse, TSN1050 Radio, excuse me. Get in on this week's poll question. It's a fun one. Should Vince Carter's jersey be retired? Yes, no, or not before DeRozan? We will talk about that on the other side. Keep it locked right here. Do remember, it's home court on TSN1050. 
It's time for Home Court Contested Shots on TSN 1050, the voice of Toronto basketball. To Vince Carter near corner. Pump fake on the right baseline. Left reverse lane and two-handed jam. Welcome back to Home Court right here on TSN 1050. Gareth Wheeler, Dwayne Watson, Megan McPeak. Keep in mind at 1.30, John Carlos will join us. Boston.com reporter talking everything Celtics and Raps as they take off tomorrow from Beantown. And the poll question this week, there's been a lot of talk actually the last couple days and a lot of it has come on the tails of uh, Mark J. Spears of the Undefeated doing a diary throughout this season on uh, Vince Carter and talking about jersey retirement. Carter mentioned that he would love to see his jersey retired with the Raptors. And our poll question for this week at TSN 1050 Radio, you can get your votes in. Should Vince Carter's jersey be retired? Yes, no, or not before DeMar DeRozan? Gentlemen, your thoughts on that? So, let me preface this by saying I was a Raptors season ticket holder through the whole Vincenia run, you know, the Philadelphia series. So um, I think this question depends on where you fit generationally. I think, you know, people who kind of like are familiar but missed Vincenia are like, yes, without a question. I think people who remember how it ended with Vince Carter in Toronto are like, no. Um, but I feel yes. I feel he did so much for, you know, basketball in Canada, this Raptors franchise, putting them on the map, um, bringing excitement to here Canada Center, the NBA is like a dunk cha- dunk contest champion, obviously a highly voted all-star throughout the league. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if there's no Vince Carter, the Raptors are still a team, possibly a team franchise that people aren't really thinking about. If there's no well, Vince Carter, is there a Raptors franchise still? Yes. A hundred percent. This is a an established market. And I get Vince Carter's importance because there's... There's been no athlete in the city for any Toronto sports team that is excited, that has brought that kind of attention over a short period of time. Right. And I know Austin Matthews and the hockey, I, I, get, I get it, but Vince Carter was the most exciting player in the NBA for that short period yeah. of time when he wore a Raptors jersey. So my answer to your question, Megan, is yes, mm-hmm. it should be retired, but I feel so dirty about it. Like, I feel like I need to go take a shower after <laughs> because of the way it ended. Right. And and I know that some people will blame the organization. They'll blame a number of different factors. In the end, it's about personal accountability. And for me, he didn't treat uh, the franchise, the city, with the respect that we deserved on his way out. Agreed. And I cannot for- forget that. I can forgive, but, can't but forget. I can't forget. So... Yes, he's an iconic player for this franchise, an iconic athlete in the city of Toronto. But the way that he left, my view of Vince Carter, the individual, mm-hmm. is forever changed and will not change back. Did Did either of you see the Carter effect? I missed it, actually. I was on vacation. So <laughs> Right. So I got to see it. Okay. okay. Which... I'm I'm not going to lie to you. I I wasn't that into it because Vince Carter, for me, doesn't interest me anymore. Right. I totally get it. Disclaimer, obviously, because it was a Vince Carter movie and a documentary about him, there was a slight bias to the story of him leaving. However, and you'll you'll probably both be able to help me out with this. The name escapes me of management at that time 
that was allowed. Well, it was Rob Babcock, Babcock that was the GM before him, like above him. I can't even. It completely has escaped me. I know Babcock was part of the decision help helping him leave, but well, above Richard him, Petty was yes. Like, right. So he was in the documentary, and he very blatantly and very bluntly said it was the worst business decision that I ever allowed to happen right. with allowing Vince Carter to be traded. It was terrible. Like, Which, that says a lot that ownership at some point can admit that they were wrong. But what what, what do you do? Yeah. And uh, you know, yeah. What do you do when a player comes out and says he's not going to dunk anymore? A guy that's a slam dunk champion. A guy that was found on the sidelines telling another team... What play was going to be run? Yeah, like he quit like, on the team. He yeah, and that's, it was it's tough. not like he demanded to be tough. traded. He quit on the team. And right. I think that's and it's, I, I'm not. Both I mean, sides are to blame, in my opinion. Agreed. And I think how he left was was bad. And then also the manner of like what there was in return for the trade and the Alonzo yeah. morning, how that stuff weighed out as well. Like, and Alonzo morning that never showed up. Right. <laughs> so, so when I look up one day and see number fifteen, is there going to be an asterisk the for you? No, but I'm going to be like. I will remember the great times because they right. were yeah. great. Yes. But fun. I'll remember the bad times as well. And, and I think that he, rightfully so, and this is completely his own doing, will forever be one of the most polarizing athletes in Toronto sports history. Pretty close. I would agree with you on that. Looking at the like, polar- remember when he came back, Dwayne? Like, oh, yeah. He didn't just he didn't stop getting booed in Toronto until recently. It was yeah. insane. Yeah. Now, let me ask you a question cuz the whole feeling dirty thing. If he can I don't want to call it a victory lap because Vince is still contributing in the NBA right now, but if he played like a a final season in Toronto. Uh, no, no. Would it make a difference for you? No. I I don't want him back. Okay. He okay, let, let's put it this way. He doesn't deserve what Toronto has to offer now. And I think he's won over a lot of people because he's still playing. At a latter stage of his career, right, right? right? Like, he's all of a sudden turned into this likable figure. Yes. I don't see it that way anymore. Well, but yeah, because I, I look at Toronto a guy, fans don't see that. You're right. Yeah. I look at a guy that's surviving. He's done well in an NBA atmosphere. But don't ask me to cheer for him. Like, <laughs> I've done, like, No, it's valid. It's valid. It, can we feel that way? No, Can I allowed. feel so much joy thinking back to the dunk contest, how good he was for yep. this Raptors team? Like... And still, even with the good moments, I'm like, you went to your university graduation on the biggest day yeah, that in was... franchise history. Like, there's so much bad stuff wrapped around in this piece of gold. You know what I mean? I just, I cannot reconcile it to this day. You know what, though? I'm, I'm going to give you guys some, 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 a little love. I'm going to give you guys something fun. Here we go. One, two, three. No sunshine in the morning, no paper at my door. Coach says to hit a three. It's all a big MP, no problem to me. So that, if you aren't aware already, is none other than our starting three, Norman Powell. So, um, Coach Casey had some interesting things to say about about Norm's singing so let, let's hear what coach casey had to say about that no problems by norman powell coach no problems. Well, his problem is you better keep his day job <laughs> do you agree or does norm should norm you know give a ball and try the rap thing? We're on the radio so we need to do the pump it or dump it I, I oh, well. fair dump it <laughs> i'm gonna say pump it because Ooh, how, i, I want to hear, hear this out. i want to hear this out. 
because it's better than the JV shtick with go the, down, the, yeah, uh, the yeah. itty bitty ballers. So it, if it's if it's the Norman Powell song versus the itty bitty ballers, I'm rolling with Norm. I wholeheartedly dis- really. I, mean, I like, actually I thought, liked the I itty bitty ballers. It was great because JV was playing this character to the point that fans thought he was serious. Like, fans were complaining to JV, saying, you need to focus on your game. Right. You're making these dolls. Get out of the workshop. And I think it's a different <laughs> side of JV. And, like, Norm plays the piano, which is great, but just do something playing the piano because I hope GoDaddy paid him a lot of money because I'm sure his teammates are ribbing him like crazy for this little rap ditty thing. He's I, 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 I don't think it's a horrible. Have you listened to music today? Do you hear what the quote-unquote kids but are is, listening but to? But this is but bad. But, like, like, you compare him to Day, like Dame, Dame Dalla, Shaq. J. Kid, well, Kobe, Shaq like horrible. Well, I think okay, this was obviously it's tongue in cheek. Like he's not right. trying to really give his best rap skills. So it's, but it's also so bad that it's bad. It's so me. bad that it's good. No, it's, it's <laughs> so bad that it's bad. But did hey. you buy the Shaq album back in the day? No. I did. I own that CD. Actually, yeah, I own the Bless your heart. With I, I did. Do you want it me to bad. shoot it? No, <laughs> it wasn't bad. Nor I, I think Norman Powell. Can go one on one, one v one with Shaquille O'Neal. No, no we've, not, we've not, learned that's not something not, smart not to do. Not rapping, no. Anyway, um, it was just—it's too too cheesy for me. It was. I mean, like, that's the point. The I guess that's the point. But it was a little like, uh, look, take it too far. It's not normal. <laughs> Is that what you're going at? Classic <laughs> Wheeler. We we're gonna have a fun conversation with. Boston.com reporter John Corrales. We're hopefully going to get an update on Kyrie Irving and him getting hit in the face last night by his teammate Baines. We'll hear more. Keep it locked. TSN 1050's Home Court. Here we go. One, two, three. No sunshine in the morning. No paper You may be hearing a lot of this this afternoon. Our producer, Lindsay Dunn, is a huge fan. Of no problems. I'm a legit fan as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing that out there, and I have no shame in saying so as well. You, you cannot know, hear my eyes rolling. You know what? <laughs> you cannot hear it. A, a gentleman that is very opinionated, and I always enjoy hearing his opinions, joining us now on the line, Toronto Star writer, covering the Raptors, Doug Smith. Doug, what do you think of No Problems and Norman Powell and his rap game? Uh, he's probably a better basketball player. Oh, come <laughs> on. This is quality. <laughs> Thanks so much for taking some time, Doug. Ahead of tomorrow's game, we just had John Corrales joining us to talk uh, Boston and Celtics. And as of right now, there is no update on Kyrie if he's in or if he's out uh, based on that hit, the inadvertent elbow from Aaron Baines last night. But looking ahead to tomorrow's game, your thoughts, whether he's in or out, let's go out in the in the sense of assuming he probably is dealing with a concussion, and I'm no doctor, but that hit looked really bad. What are you expecting from the Raptors, given the fact that Boston was able to come back from 20 points last night, get the W against Charlotte without Hayward and without Horford and without Kyrie Irving? Well, the Raptors are going to have to score, and that's really hard against Boston. They're the best defensive team in the NBA. They're really long. Tatum and uh, Jalen Brown are very effective switching everything. It's going to take a lot of. It's going to take all the Toronto ball movement and creating open shots that they can muster to get even ninety points against this team. Doug, um, a concern or not a concern? A concern or luxury in terms of the depth of this lineup and the twelve-man rotation, everyone getting minutes. What's your take on it? Do you think this is something that's working for the Raptors, or is it going to be a detriment in terms of guys not getting the rhythm with the with the ten-man rotation? 
I think it's I think it's okay right now. I don't think it's sustainable through like January and February. That's for sure. I mean, keeping minutes down early in the season is not a bad thing, so so they don't accumulate. Now they're seven and four, so it's, it's worth the okay on the on the win loss side of it. I, I don't see it as an issue at, at this point, but it's going to have to get pared down to, to nine, maybe ten by the first of the year, and it's going to be up to the players to play themselves out of it because right now that group of seven through 12 is pretty much the same guy. You have no idea who's going to be good one night. And until there's some shake out there, I, I don't see any problem with playing 10 or 11 or maybe 12 most nights. Is there a guy from seven to 12, Doug, that you feel has an inside track just in terms of overall importance to this team relative to others? Uh, I, I like Pirtle a lot. I think he's going to be the guy who emerges. Um, I don't trust Lucas Nogueira to stay healthy or to do the right thing seven games in a row. Like Pirtle's steady. Uh, no, not spectacular, but steady. I think his shooting is a little bit underrated. And you know, I think he and Siakam are going to be those guys after Miles and DeLon Wright who are in that sort of seven, eight, nine group. Talking with Toronto star Doug Smith here on home court. Doug, when you look at what the Raptors were able to do, they get it ugly one against Chicago, an even uglier loss against Washington, and then a very high-scoring win versus New Orleans. And outside of that one play that has now gone viral for JV with Boogie and JV slipping, in my opinion, I don't know if you'd agree, JV, I thought, did a fantastic job forcing uh, DeMarcus Cousins into a jump shooter, and then he goes, what, 8 of 20-plus from the floor that night? Yeah, 8 of 24, I think, was the number. Yeah, you know what? Valanciunas might be the most consistently good player the Raptors have had in the 10 games he's played. He's been really, really good all year. I mean, I think the thing that I'm noticing most of all is the way he moves his feet on defense. He's much more effective guarding in the pick and roll now than he ever was. And it's an effort and it's knowledge and it's experience. But he's, I think he's having a really, really good start to the season. You mentioned the length of Boston, obviously, with guys like Brown and Tatum. Um, but we've got a long uh, 6'8 defender of... Oh, you know, Nobi for the Raptors who closed the game against the Pelicans. Where do you see him, and do you see him as part of the equation of like the lineup that might close out games for this Raptors squad? Um, I'm not sure if it, he's going to be the he's going to be their best wing defender when he gets a little bit more experience on him. Um, I don't know that you can have him out there too many times late in close games because he needs scoring and teams don't guard him an awful lot. I know he made the three and got a dunk the other night, but he. Traveled a couple times. He, he he missed a couple of three pointers. I think he's he's got a he's got a very very promising future. I don't know whether he's ready to finish games right now, but he might be in March and April. I I love the player, and I think he just adds a different kind of element to this team. And and Doug, when the Eastern Conference right now is a little bit topsy turvy with the Cavs struggling so much, and. Although the Raptors have had their struggles at times, this has to be an overriding success story to start the year, right? Because the biggest question heading in was what the bench was going to be all about. Young, unproven, and you can make the argument we haven't seen the best yet from the starting five as a collective, but what you got from your bench, that gives you reason to believe that when the starters tick on and turn over and get into their game, that this is going to be be a team to be reckoned with here in the Eastern Conference? Well, I, I, I always thought you could throw a blanket over Boston, Toronto, and just behind Cleveland all year, and I don't think just anything's changed. I think the biggest thing for the Raptors is they're, they're surviving a very tough part of the schedule. That six-game West trip was a bear, and they got out of it very, very well. 
I don't think they go out of the Eastern time zone after, like, Valentine's Day. So as long as they wow. sort of hold their own, I think they got a chance to finish really strongly. And uh, when the four or five guys emerge out of the seven who play off the bench now, I think it's going to be it's going to be hugely a, a really good chance for a really strong finish. I do think one thing they have to do is figure out how to get more use out of CJ Miles, and I think he's got to play more with the starters. I'm with you. And I think he's just got to play more. I think he's only playing eighteen or nineteen minutes a night. He's got to play more. He's got to play more time with one of or both of DeRozan and Lowry. Doug Smith joining us of the Toronto Star. Doug, you did a piece talking about the officiating and and the fact that they've had a spotlight this season in this early couple weeks put on them just with the amount of technicals we've seen be given out, especially with the one that Kyle Lowry got in that Washington game early on. What was it, like? six minutes before halftime, and then gets ejected. Um, we all know it was a young official who is new to the NBA after his stint uh, growing in the G League, but like, how frustrating can that be? Obviously, we're not players, but from just from your perspective, watching you know Coach Casey and the staff deal with it, the players having to deal with it, that we hear stories of other players in the league that deal with veteran officials and even new young officials that are getting their first couple stints in, in the NBA calling games and officiating games. Some players get a bigger leash, and Lowry got a very short one, all, although he knew that certain words is going to trigger, but do you also put some onus on the official to give him a little bit more leash given the fact he's playing at home and he's a three-time All-Star? Yeah, I think the officials are... They're not quite getting to the confrontational uh, reputation of baseball umpires, but they're getting close, and I, I think that's got to change. They, they need to know when to walk away. There's a huge disparity in the, in the refereeing and officiating circles in the NBA between old guys and young. Right. I think of the 64 officials, there's eight or, 18 or under 10 years, and or 18 or under or over 20 years, and eight, 28 or not, less than 10 years. There's, they lost a whole bunch of officials, a bunch of uh, ref, very good experienced referees retired Mm -hmm. and the young kids aren't quite ready to manage games yet. Everybody knows the rules. Everybody knows what you can and can't say. It's game management that makes a good official stand out in my, my book to know when to walk away, to know when to talk, to know when to go to a coach and say, calm your guy down. And I I think that the guys, even with 10 years in don't have that, that skill mastered. And until they get it, you're going to have these wild swings game to game. If you get a veteran crew, you're going to, I guess the right phrase would be get away with more. But I also think that the veteran crew knows how to manage players, moments, uh, arguments, and games better. And that's the biggest, that's, to me, that's the biggest part of officiating is managing the moments. Yeah, and I think also, too, the veteran officials, they know how to let their, like, put their emotions aside and take that out of the equation and just ref the game and allow a guy. Because I don't know about you, Doug, but in my opinion, if that game's in Washington and John Wall does that, I don't think John Wall's getting ejected. Probably not. But again, and, you know, I, I would take Kyle and Dwayne Casey at their word that there weren't magical, magical words said. Right. I also think there probably, I think there actually probably was. And you know we don't know we 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 weren't standing in midcourt, but it was a quick, it was a really quick ejection, and and DeRose and the referee should have walked away after giving the first technical, turned his back or gone down gone down to the slot, just gotten away from him. Right. Don't don't be there to be to let to be provoked. Just just take a step back, take a deep breath, and just take a step back from a confrontation. And I think an old referee would have done that. Doug, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking some time here on home court. Thanks, Doug. Anytime.
Once again, Toronto Star reporter covering the Raptors, Doug Smith, joining us. We continue on here. 5 p.m. pregame begins Leafs coverage there in Boston. Interesting that both teams are in Boston on a Saturday and Sunday back-to-back. The Leafs tonight, the Raptors tomorrow afternoon. Home court continues. Chris Broussard coming up at 2.15. We'll talk NBA. Keep it locked right here on Home Court on TSN. Irving in from the left, blow by to the rim, clutched it, laid it up and in. Kyrie Irving, one of the strongest finishers in the game, puts Cleveland up by six. Welcome back. Home court on TSN 1050, inside the TSN 1050 headquarters. Joining us now on the line, Boston.com reporter, following the Celtics and everything in Beantown, John Corrales. John, you're joining myself, Dwayne Watson, and Gareth Wheeler. Thank you so much for taking some time this afternoon. What's we do up, appreciate Johnny? It. What's up? Hey, guys. How's it going? Not bad. Not bad. Probably going better uh, than uh, the fans in Boston right now. Do you have a status on Kyrie and if we might see him tomorrow after the hit he took early on in last night's game versus Charlotte? Still up in the air at this point. They're monitoring him for concussion symptoms, and uh, he, he took an inadvertent elbow from Aaron Baines. So right now they're just monitoring, and if he has to enter the concussion protocol, then that's going to be a multi-step process. But as of right now, nothing definitive yet. John, obviously Celtics 11-2 and two rolling, looking really good. Um, 11 straight wins? Hey. And even the yeah, first- who saw that coming? But what I'm more curious about, I didn't see coming, them being such a top-rated defensive squad, you know, with Kyrie, obviously, for his offense, but and losing Crowder and whatnot, but how has the team become so well defensively? Well, the, the thing that has helped them defensively is the construction of the, the team. And you've got to give a ton of credit to Danny Ainge because he has seen the way this league is progressing before a lot of people have. And... To, to see a Celtics team that, that lost Jay Crowder and Avery Bradley get better defensively, you're looking at two great individual defenders. Avery Bradley's a tremendous individual defender. But let's look at this in Toronto terms. DeMar DeRozan has had a lot of great games against the Celtics, and Avery Bradley would guard DeRozan very well, but DeRozan could always get to a certain spot on the floor and just shoot over him because Bradley's like 6'2". Now... He's going to have to face guys like Jason Tatum, who is playing very well defensively, and Jalen Brown, who has probably become our, one of our most important players defensively. These guys are 6'7", six, 6'8". Six, you can't rise up and shoot over those guys. So a guy like DeRozan is going to see a much different set, and a much different type of player. And that's the type of thing that has helped the Celtics defensively. These guys can switch. Last night, against the Hornets at the end when Kemba Walker, who is deadly, could hit a shot to tie the game. Marcus Morris switched out on him and did a fantastic job. So the switchability and the length and athleticism on this Celtics team has has turned a lot of guys who aren't necessarily as good individually as the guys that they lost, but the sum of the parts is greater. Which, this is all incredible to watch it unfold, really, especially the way the season started with the Gordon Hayward injury. And for me, this team in this season was about Kyrie Irving acclimating to Boston, growing with this team, and then maybe next year being the team to beat the Eastern Conference. But the right now, the way 
the Celtics are trending and the way the Cavaliers are kind of just kind of staying afloat. Have hearts and minds been changed in Boston to believe that, you know what, maybe this year we can be the best team in the Eastern Conference? Well, look, they've gotten themselves one heck of a head start on everybody else to be 11-2. and two, Even if there is some regression to the mean, they're still going to have a pretty good record. So no one expected 11-2. Even with Hayward, no one expected 11-2. and two. In fact, coming into the season with Hayward, a lot, of the, a lot of guys on the team were saying, look, it's going to be tough to start. The Celtics have a really intense early schedule. They're playing basically every other day for the next two months because they're going – to London in January, and they had the, the schedule is just weird for them. But no one expected this, especially after Hayward. Uh, I think that when you look at the the entire East, Cleveland has a lot to figure out. You know, they're in a tough spot, and I think that ultimately they will because LeBron is still LeBron, and they will find a way to pull out of this tailspin. But they're, they're kind of different than, than in years past. They're kind of older and slower and terrible defensively. Toronto is good. You got a good record, but still weird. And, and I'm not, I'm not even entirely sure what the Raptors are yet. And the Wizards are struggling a little bit. The Wizards should be better than they are. So all of this kind of, it muddies the East a little bit, but I think the Celtics are in a great position now. If, if Kyrie can come back and if Al Horford can come back soon and they can, those guys have developed an amazing chemistry. They can, they can continue at least, I mean, obviously they're going to lose at some point, but they can continue a pretty decent run. And I thought after the Hayward injury, they might drop to like the third or fourth seed in the East, but the way everything is shaking out with Toronto figuring themselves out with Washington figuring themselves out. And I think Detroit's going to, fall a little bit. I don't think Orlando's going to be this good for that long. I think the Celtics do have an opportunity here, surprisingly, to hold on to that top seed. Talking with Boston.com reporter John Corrales. John, we've talked about it. Myself, both the guys have mentioned it. You've mentioned it. 11-game win streak. Last night, a come-from-behind win against Charlotte after being down 18. You lose Kyrie. Is is this a testament to Brad Stevens and his coaching philosophy mm. that he's been able to do with do this with you you lose Kyrie you lose Hayward and yet you still manage to find a way to come back from eighteen down and you're on an eleven game win streak? Yeah, I got to tell you, last night made no sense. That win made no <laughs> sense. That was that was I I I I have to go back and watch it again so I can see exactly how look. When when you're down 18 without any of your stars, there uh, there when you look at the the salaries of the guys who were out, the Celtics were without seven almost 77 million dollars worth of star players not on the floor due to injury, and they still came back. Like Charlotte was complicit in this; like they missed a lot of shots. The Celtics defense stepped up, and yeah, Brad Stevens gets these guys to do things that. Maybe other teams, other coaches don't Yeah, Like, what Brad Stevens focuses on is do what you do best. He really encourages guys to be who they are, and he puts the onus on himself to do with that talent what other coaches maybe wouldn't do. You know, he puts it on the coaching staff to figure out how do we fit these players into – 
our system? How do we fit these players together? Where other coaches say, okay, you're good, but we need you to do this. Like classic example, Cleveland and Kevin Love. Like Kevin Love is a certain kind of player, and Cleveland says, yeah, you're good, but we need you to do this. Where Brad Stevens says, you're good at X, Y, Z, you do X, Y, Z, and I'll figure out how to build around that. And I think that's the big difference between the really, really good coaches and, and Stevens is definitely like the Popoviches of the world, Rick Carlisle's of the world. They let the players be who they are and figure it out. Where I think mediocre and lesser coaches say, well, this is how we're going to do it and we need the players to fit me. So that, if you're looking at why Brad Stevens is one of the greats, that's probably the best way I could put it. Yeah, he's done a great job in terms of all the new pieces on the team this year and the chemistry. But, you know, one guy that people weren't really thinking about, Jason Tatum, is a draft pickup coming behind Simmons and Ball. Um, sorry, Fultz and Ball. He's had a great start to the season. What have you He's going to be rookie of the year. Like, he looks, complete, he looks better than the other two. probably rookie of the year, but he's definitely looking better than Lonzo Ball. Yeah, for sure. And Fultz. John? Yeah, I think, well, rookie of the year is an interesting case in the complete side discussion because. It, it may end up being Simmons. So the I think the, the best way to classify Tatum is best player in this draft class. So because Simmons is having an amazing year. But look, Tatum's going to be right in that mix. And I think Tatum can actually be a potential rookie of the year. I think he's got, I think he's got the, the skills. I think he's got the tools. He's playing better defense than anybody thought. And the, the great thing about Tatum's offensive game it's, it's not based on athleticism. And for long-term success, it's that type of offensive game. Like, he, he's crafty. He knows how to get to spots. He knows how to use his body. He use, knows how to use a defense's momentum against him. So he's not just jumping over people. He's just not outclassing people athletically. He's actually got offensive skills. So... That puts him years ahead of most rookies. So I think that's the most exciting thing about Tatum is that he knows how to score and he knows how to use his body. And defensively, he's, he's put himself in great position. He's really picked up the principles. He's really figured out when to switch, how to switch. And, and it's, it's really the best way I can put it is he, he's playing like a third or fourth year player. So when you're that far advanced, when you actually are a third or fourth year player, then you actually play like a sixth, seventh, eighth year. You that's like superstar level stuff. So Tatum is a special guy. Like he's he's really special. John, thank you so much for joining us. We appreciate you taking some time ahead of uh, ahead of tomorrow's game, and hopefully uh, we'll get an update on Kyrie later on today. Yeah, my pleasure. Anytime. Thanks, John. Once again, Boston.com reporter John Corrales joining us to talk everything Celtics and Raptors. They play tomorrow. Tip off set for three thirty p.m. Yeah, that I believe it's it was listed originally at three. Yeah, I believe it's three thirty p.m. Can I just make the case for Tatum as rookie of the year? Because I know there's a lot of Ben Simmons love out there. The fact that Tatum is doing this in a situation where he's on the best team in the Eastern Conference, not a five hundred team in the Eastern Conference, but what he's doing for a team that has lost so many players and filled that void seamlessly. For me, he's the most impressive rookie for me. I know we look at Ben Simmons in a different way because he sat out last year. And he's a great player. Like, he's going to be a star in this league. 
But Tatum has snuck up on people, and he quietly goes about and does his job on a nightly basis. If they I'm the, so impressed. If they applied the MVP measurement on uh, Rookie of the Year, then without question, I would totally agree with you. But Rookie of the Year, they tend to look at the best rookie as opposed to like where you're playing. And it's hype, right. too. Yeah. It's so. hype. And Tatum isn't as sexy of a name as Simmons. But, but he's looking <laughs> great, though. Really? Really good. It's true. No, it's true. And it, it's a conversation that we'll continue to have throughout the season. Keep in mind, 5 p.m. Leafs at the Bruins pregame coverage begins right here on TSN 10. 50. There will be no Austin Matthews. What will the Leafs be able to do in Beantown? Puck drop at 7 p.m. right here on TSN 1050. Home court continues. Keep it locked.